You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, folks. Welcome back to this Mountain West Wire football podcast. Week two in the books. Jeremy Moss here hanging out with uh, Matt Kennelly. MWWire.com is our website. So we made it through the other week, and it was a, a, I'd say a pretty good week, right? Another one, a solid week for the conference? Uh, I guess it depends on your rooting interests. You know, there were some highlights, but uh, definitely some frustrations that we'll have to talk about in this recap podcast. Oh, there are a few where, like, you know, 2-0 is tough, man. Come on, it's hard. It is. Uh, there's a quarterback issues happening down the desert, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And... A whole lot of special teams issues. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's get to the first game, I guess. Should we just get it, get right into it? No need to uh, fluff it up and chit-chat or jibber-jabber. Let's go for it. First off, who uses jibber-jabber besides me right now? Anybody? I'm sure somebody out there does. We'll do it. Let me know if you use jibber-jabber because I just did for some reason. All right. Boise State 14, Marshall 7. They won. Mm-hmm. Defense is good. Our picks were way off. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I was expecting Boise State to pull away. I think maybe we both underestimated Marshall's talent on defense. Yeah, they held Boise in check for and, and for most of the game. And then there's a little bit to be said about going from week one to week two, short week, to travel, all sorts of changes. True freshman quarterback. You still got mm-hmm. Hank Bachmeyer. and But there were some good with the bad. Like, I didn't realize this. I knew Boise State defense is good, good in the second half. But did you know before maybe that tweet or stuff came out, they gave up zero yards in the second half? Uh, well, I mean, if you watch the game, it was pretty easy to tell that they were, especially after halftime, uh, and especially along the defensive line. You know, Curtis Weaver obviously is the guy who really jumps out in the mm-hmm. in the stat sheet. You know, he had six tackles and a sack and a tackle for a loss. But it seemed like everybody up front was getting into the action and just kind of asserting their will. You know, Marshall wanted to try. And, and stretch the field horizontally to try and get a ha- get out mm-hmm. of, in front of this defense, and they just weren't able to. You know, Boise's speed in that front seven was really on display, especially in that second half. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It, I could tell they weren't moving the ball well, but zero, I was like, I didn't. Just it's one of those numbers when you see it, it's like, oh, it actually was. Zero. They actually were that good. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, you could tell like three and out. Like every possession was a three and out, I believe, in the interception. So it's. Not surprising, but I figured they gained a yard here or there. But also, like, watching, like, particularly in the first half, we're going to bounce on this game, and there's a bit to get to. Defense is as advertised. Offense, there's some positive, but not some positive. But there's a couple, like, Bachmeyer, he missed the guys quite a little bit in the first couple of drives that could have helped the offense score some points. Like, there's some overthrows. There were some not great throws. They missed a field goal early on. So there are a couple of things here and there where stuff like that happened. See, I think what jumped out to me kind of throughout the game was, you know, obviously we knew that John Ajuku didn't get any playing time in this game. You know, he sat because he had the injury last week against Florida State. Mm-hmm. Um, are you concerned with Boise State's struggles in, de- in protecting in the pass? Or pass yeah. protection, rather? Buckmar got crushed last week. Like, he got I mean, hammered last week. He's under pressure this week. 
Because, the, of course, the one play that everybody's going to remember from this game is when he got his helmet ripped off, and obviously Marshall got flagged for that. Yeah, and Cordo um, to come in for a second. But that's just kind of emblematic of kind of an unexpected struggle early on in the season. Well, yeah, they had, you mentioned they had the one guy out for a couple for well, at least one more game or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. even when they're full health, like this was, we mentioned in the preseason, this offensive line, I think also Hawaii brought back basically everybody and did a really good job. Like, they're expected to be great. Mm-hmm. So it is a concern, yeah. Why wouldn't it be? When it's supposed to be that good and it's not good? You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. there shouldn't be a time where it's like, oh, it takes three weeks to get into it. This is a group that's already been playing quite a bit. It's not. It wasn't expected to have five sacks or eight QB hurries or get Bachmar crushed every other play. That was supposed to be the strong point of helping the new quarterback. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah. I mean, but to Bachmeyer's credit, you know, even though there were some, uh, you know, offense, uh, you know, uneven drives throughout the game, I think it's to Bachmeyer's credit that, you know, not only did he have a couple of 10 yard runs, uh, as well as the, you know, the quarterback sneaky head at the one yard line, you know, the, the RPO that they ran, um, they still managed eight chunk plays through the air as well, including the third quarter touchdown throw to John Hightower. The big one. Yeah. So, you know, it says a lot about Bachmeyer's toughness that he's able to hang in there. And even though the stats don't, quite jump off the stat sheet in the same way that they did last week against Florida State. You know, he still completed just about two-thirds of his passes, and he still had 282 yards and a touchdown against one interception. So Marshall didn't really really force him into many mistakes that, you know, I think it would be fair to expect of a true freshman quarterback. Like, he's playing with poise. He's playing, obviously, with a, a very talented group of receivers, and you know, even though there were some other plays that got called back, I think there was the long touchdown that he threw to Khalil Shakir that got called back on a holding penalty. Yeah. Um, that didn't stop this offense in the long run. And I think that's not only to his credit, but to, you know, the people that are making plays around him. No, I definitely agree with that. So it'll get to him at some point in the season, perhaps. But I guess one of the biggest thing I'd say that was helpful, 100-yard rusher, right? And not the 100-yard rusher you might have expected. It's our good buddy Raj. He said this will be the freshman of the year, possibly, and George Talani with 103 yards. Not and bad. so obviously, you know, Robert Mahone's status is going to be something to watch. But I think you can be encouraged by the fact that, you know, even if Holani didn't have very many explosive plays, that wasn't really what they needed in this game anyway. Like he was efficient. He was, you know, he only had a long of 17 yards, but he kept the chains moving when they needed him to. So I definitely understand here. Let's uh, hold on. So you're right with the running game, with Mahone being or being out maybe one week. We'll see how much more. We'll know more next week about that. But having Holani back there doing well, and like uh, like we seen a couple years ago with Alexander Madison, it took what four or five games with the new running back to find the hundred yard rusher. Mm-hmm. So if they have that already, they're one set one step better the game, right? They they have the defense. They have a quarterback that will take all the hits and hopefully doesn't cause damage down the road, but they're fine. It's a close victory, and I guess one the one negative thing I'd say about the game, yeah, it's only 14 points. They coughed up the ball a few too many times as well, and so that's kind of an issue again. And a couple miss errant passes, what I've kind of no, noticed here and there. But overall, they won a game that was a tough game, and so two in a row. Yeah, pretty much. All right, so we move on to Saturday, the full slate of games. Let's do it. So where should we start on Saturday? Should we just go? What was the first game? It was was it Western Illinois, Colorado State, uh, Colorado State thirty eight, Western Illinois thirteen. 
There's not much we need to say when they beat up on an FCS school, right? I think, you know, going back to what I talked about in the preview, you know, I, I, if you've listened to our preview podcast, you know that I hedged my bets a little bit, uh, at least as far as the Rams being able to cover, uh, like, a, I think it was an 11-point spread. But, you know, I think if you're a Rams fan or if you're someone who was maybe a little concerned um, about this kind of matchup, you know, the fact that they came out and basically blew the doors off the Leatherneck should give you um, a lot of encouragement. And because they were able to do it not only through the air, where Colin Hill was, what, 26 of 33, almost 400 yards. That's what you wanted to see, right? I don't care who it is. You want to see him have a good performance again. So. Excuse me, 25 of 32. Uh, 367 yard, four touchdowns, most importantly, but also the running game was able to get it done as well. And Marvin Kinsey, even though he had, even though he only had 13 carries, you know, he had 89 yards. He that was well over six yards a carry. You know, Dante Wright had another very good game. You know, he led the team seven catches, 111 yards, and a score, uh, and also scored another touchdown on the ground. So, you know, while you know there were some minor blemishes like i would point to the fact that they did miss three or four field goals in this game although with the caveat that one of them was a 61 yarder from braxton davis right before that's halftime. okay that's okay <laughs> that that's a little more and the other two weren't necessarily gimmies either like they had max paduska uh attempt from 49 and 43 yards and uh you know those are not necessarily totally easy ones but that's something to maybe keep an eye on uh, especially since last year that was one of those things that really turned against them. And two years ago, that was something that had been really reliable. Yeah. I guess one other – I'll go back to positive really quick. Ten, seven sacks, ten TFLs. That's true. Defense, as we harp on that, it's – yeah, it's West Leathernecks, West Illinois. Um, but still, you want to see them be successful somewhere, and hopefully next week when they have their next opponent, they'll be some more successful. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, well – go back to our ways and give up eight yards on the ground or whoever on the next opponent. Yeah, pretty so. much. But no, it's a, it a good good week, good good game for them. It's what they needed. And I, don't know, I, have, I have nothing more to say on this game. It was a good, decent victory. And I don't care if you miss a 50-something yard or field goal, 61 yard, you're fine. You'll be good, right? It's still a question mark, you, but... You just want to talk about San Diego State, don't you? I just... It's an FCS game. What do we care about? <laughs> hey. We, we can talk about the Aztecs. We will. That, that's next in line, right? Yes, they are. 23-14 over UCLA. Did you happen to see the graphic San Diego State put out about Pac-12 winning percentage? I mean, that's a little bit of cherry-picking, but I respect the pettiness. You know what would be even more petty? Because they put minimum five games. They should have put minimum six. Because is there a... You know I mean, that's what they should have done, a minimum six. <laughs> I thought it was a minimum of six because th- they had like they had Notre Dame on there. Notre Dame's three like three. three and three. Yeah. Maybe that's... Oh, I bet that's why they include Notre Dame, perhaps. I thought it was minimum five. I'm going to double-check real quick, but... It is pettiness, but it also was their first ever victory over UCLA. Yes, it was. And, like, this game, like, going through and watching, like, also, Juwan Washington was, when we recorded, we didn't know of his status. Like, oh, he'll be fine. He was questionable. Still played a little bit. But you know what, I, you know what I'm impressed with? They actually used Ryan Agnew how they wanted to use Ryan Agnew. Yes, they did. He evaded multiple defenders, multiple sacks. He would sidestep, he'd hang out in the pocket and make throws. And he, like, this is not hyperbole, this is probably one of their best passing performances since Ryan Lindley was on campus. Well, if I remember correctly, I think it was Jamie McConaughey uh, with with the athletics department said that his 293 passing yards was the most that they've had since Quinn Kaler in 2014. Lindley was before that, so right around the same time. Yeah, Lindley was, yeah, a few years before that. It was, they did put minimum five games. 
and they and they needed every bit of that too yeah. because you know Washington, if I remember correctly, that you know I think it was Kirk Kenny of the Union Tribune mentioned that he went into the game at ninety percent, mm-hmm. and he didn't necessarily have his best game. Like they gave him the ball, they weren't shy about doing that. He had twenty carries, but he only had forty one yards, uh, and you know uh, about a quarter of that came on one ten yard run. Um, and even the guys behind him again still kind of struggled. Like you know, Ryan Agnew was you know eight carries, nineteen yards. That skewed a little bit by the fact that UCLA had a couple sacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other guys behind him, you know, Jordan Bird had ten carries for nineteen yards, but they didn't really do much. So they needed that passing game to step up. And that's not really a story that only concerns the quarterback position. It concerns a lot of the young guys who last week we were thinking okay well what are these guys actually going to do um not that ucla is a huge step up from weber state but pretty much every single guy stepped up in that regard you know kobe smith broke out with seven catches and 131 yards and a score jesse matthews had five catches you know had a long of 20 yards so they were creating chunk plays through the air in a way that we hadn't really seen in a long time no, they definitely did. No, they they did. Like going through, like watching this, like typically, like who's gonna catch the ball? We don't know. Maybe it's Kobe Smith this time. Maybe it's Matthews next week or going forward. But this is huge because okay, UCLA is not gonna be great this year. And like I mentioned last week, Chip Kelly's offense is not doing what he wanted to do because everybody's seen it, everybody's done it. He's not this innovator as he has been because everybody copied him, and so he has mm-hmm. nothing new to bring to his game essentially. Like uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson did fine passing the ball, but like what Asics did offensively is like UCLA. I don't know what to expect from them. They haven't started 0-2 in back-to-back years. What did it say, since the 40s or something? I think I saw oh, some I stuff. The it, it, it was a long yeah, it's been time. It's a while. Yeah, it was a long time. It's uh, multiple years. But for a team that has literally, not a little but typically not a good receiving group, these guys are catching everything through their way. I mean, like, all these guys, like, you mentioned all those long plays, five-plus plays, 11 or more yards. All these mm-hmm. guys averaging every catch is over 12 yards per attempt. A first down every time a pass is completed. Mm-hmm. This is something we haven't seen, seen since a long time, and I've always said it years before. If the Aztecs can get an above-average passing game, they'll be extremely dangerous because defense is very good and the running game is always solid. This is a bit different with the running game being pretty bad, like beyond bad. One, whatever sack numbers are, basically two yards of play rushing the ball. Mm-hmm. They were not good at all. But like going through and watching what they're doing, like they they got the two fumbles from UCLA. They took advantage. They took advantage of that. They had a field goal. Um, yeah, they got 10 and, points out of it. Yeah, and the touchdown. Yeah, I was looking for the other one. Yeah, they stopped them on downs. They were forcing three and outs. Like, to start, here's the big thing. They're up 10-7. Like, the first half was kind of ugly. It was 10-7, two missed field goals. UCLA gets the ball. They fumble right away. Aztecs get it. Two plays, boom, touchdown, 36 yards. UCLA mm-hmm. responds. Okay, still so 17-14. They're still up. But getting that first touchdown was huge for them, even though they allowed the one after that. Because the rest of the game, UCLA had nothing. Like, the defense just shut them down. Like, there was 6 for 21. Like, look at these drives. 6 or 7. They get maybe a first down to have a little bit of confidence, but Aztecs were keeping drives alive and going down the field. Like, those two long field goal drives were 23 plays and mm-hmm. took over 11 minutes off the clock. And UCLA had no answer to stop. Like, uh, how how often do you have long drives and it's all passing? You know what I mean? Like, in this offense? <laughs> never. Like, never, in most yeah. offenses, typically – a 10-play drive, seven minutes, you're going to be running a couple of plays. It was basically all passing. They still, the thing I liked about it, they still ran. They didn't abandon the run completely because you saw they had 47 carries attempts. They mm-hmm. still ran it more than they passed it. And they, even doing that and not being successful with it, they didn't go away from it. 
Because you'll see teams that go have this type of performance, say they only do 28 carries or 30 carries, they go completely to the passing game. They put this all, while it was all Agnew, who the reason they won, in my opinion, offensively, they were still giving the running game a chance to do something. Mm-hmm. So UCLA still, even though UCLA was stopping, they still had to be, be prepared to stop it. And they could stop one half of the offense, but not the second half of the passing game. Yeah, I mean, you're right about that. So how big of a victory is this? Because it is the first victory over them, UCLA. They're 5-0 in the pack versus the Pac-12 in the past since 2016, a couple bowl games, I think. Um, who they, beat? Uh, they beat a couple teams. Who's the loss? Do you recall the loss? Is it a, was it USC? I do not recall. I don't recall either, but they're 5-1. and one. Is this a team you expect? Like, this team still has room to improve, Oh, no, right? you know what? I think it was Stanford last year. Oh, that's right. That's right, Stanford, because they beat them one year, they're not the other. The light-out game they won, then they lost last time. So, they're fun. That's not bad, 5-1. But this team, like, they're not quite there yet, right? I think we can both agree with that. If the running game needs to be what it is, but by seeing what we saw, I'm not concerned one bit, because 6-0 victory last week. I was probably, I know I was overreacting, putting it on the twelfth. I bumped them up to I think fifth this week in my power poll, but there's still room to improve on in that running game to be more consistent. Maybe it's just Washington being a hundred percent. But if he, if he's ninety percent and couldn't run the ball, that is concerning. I mean, I think yeah, I guess it depends on your perspective. Like, and you know, obviously it's kind of a program defining victory because it's their first win over UCLA. Yeah. But I don't think anybody's out there pretending, you know, Aztec fan or not, that UCLA is a great team. At this point, no. But, but perception-wise, but, but what you take away beyond like who they are beating is how they did it. You know, the defense was stellar. You know, and we didn't really t- get into the fact that they had what ten TFLs and three sacks. Mm-hmm. You know, Kaiba Tizino led the low, the way up front, and you know Darren Hall came back and he was solid in the secondary and things like that. Um, that they were able to get after the quarterback, they were able to create turnovers. You know, they were able to shut a beatable offense down. And when you look ahead the rest of the way, you know, obviously there's some teams in conference play that are probably going to pose more of a challenge than the Bruins did. And I'm thinking like particularly of like Utah State and Hawaii and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But if they could keep doing this, you know, then you start seeing more of the preseason hype that a lot of national prognosticators had about this team because the, you know, even if they're transitioning to this new offense, and even if this new offense has kind of fits and starts with the, you know, a hobbled Juwan Washington and, you know, a running back staff that maybe works and fits and starts, you know, if they can continue to set themselves up with the success on the defensive side of the ball, and if the offense can just be fine in one way or another, whether it's running the yeah. football, whether it's throwing the football. Yeah, this is definitely a team that can easily win the division going away, I think. No, I agree with you, too. One thing that's scheduled really quick was the final three games, not to jump too far ahead. Host Fresno, even Nevada there. So if you include Nevada, Fresno, at Hawaii, home to BYU, it's a def- decent stretch. They'll need to get the wins. Like, they get New Mexico State, Utah State in a couple weeks. Schedule has open openings on there where there's tough games and games to kind of figure things out if they need to. Yeah, and I mean, just one last thing before maybe before we move on. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at Bill Connolly's new SP plus rankings. I did for uh, a moment where Aztecs were at 124 offense. So overall, and, and I put this up on Twitter so you can see this for ourselves at MWC wire. Uh, overall, San Diego State is 58th. Um, but in terms of offense versus defense and special teams, uh, offense, they're 126th right now. Yikes. 
That can only get teams, better. That can only get 32nd. better. 32nd. Okay. Defense, number one. Number one. And remember, this is a... Uh, I forget how he describes it, because he did his one sentence of blurb on his latest ESPN piece. Like it's his, intended to be predictive and forward-facing. That's what I was thinking. I wanted to make it correct. I know it's predictive, but I want to get exactly in there. So it has nothing to do with perception or anything that's going forward. It's going forward, essentially. Predicting the rest yeah. of the way. Yeah, so I'm just going to read this paragraph, and you can go find this yourself on ESPN.com, but it says, uh, it's intended to be predictive and forward-facing. It is not a resume ranking that gives credit for big wins or partic- particularly brave scheduling. It is simply a measure of the most sustainable and predictable aspects of football. So if you are lucky or unimpressive in a win, your rating will probably fall. If you're strong and unlucky in a loss, it will probably rise. So essentially what it's saying is that, you know, the defense is every bit as good as I think everybody, both within the program, within the fandom and outside of it, expected them to be. The offense might still have some work to do because we saw them, you know, in their opener and they were a little bit uh, shaky. And at least one aspect of that offense was still a little bit shaky even in this win. But there's definitely plenty to build upon going forward. Yeah, they're um, like going into next week, they're playing at New Mexico State. I think it's already I put the lines out with like an 18 points road favorite mm-hmm. so they should be fine next week are you let me ask you this are you surprised they got zero consideration either poll this week um not necessarily um I think everybody kind of has a bead on how rough UCLA is okay and it, I would imagine that a lot of voters are probably still thinking about that six nothing victory over Weber State I was I wish too making my power poll this week. Did you have you finished yours yet already for the week? I have not. No. Okay, so I really quick just where I put the Aztecs. I moved them up. I was debating. I put them at fifth. Just if you're wondering. So, okay. Twelve to five. So you're welcome, Aztec fans. I told you to be fluid after week to week because this is a decent victory. Okay, that's all. I'm, that's what we're saying here. Next game, are we at Oregon, Nevada that we can just bypass in about ten uh, seconds? Well, sadly, we do have to talk about it. So let's watch this game for a little bit. I stopped watching after a while when it got out of hand. I saw, okay, um, seven, like, I was watching the bo- box score and watch, actually watching the game, too. I kind of tuned in, like, oh, crap, the game's on. And I see them, the uh, first possession, or first score, it's like, oh, Nevada did lead this game 1.3-0, Matt, if you recall. 3 mm-hmm. and they were And they were only down 7-6 to six into the second quarter. Yeah, and they had a nice stop fourth and six early on. So, like, yeah, they were, it was the close game. Like, okay, 14-6, this reasonably, okay. 14 to 6, you get the interception, or didn't they throw the interception? That's the problem. When it was 7 to 6, touchdown, interception, for t- then touchdown, undowns, touchdown, then it got out of hand in 35 6 before you could blink an eye, essentially, at the end of that. Yeah. Half. So they're in the game, but there's like, what are you going to say? Oregon's really good. Justin Herbert's going to be like the number one or two quarterback taken in the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, he's a legit Heisman candidate. Problem is, like, what happened after that first little bit? Like, they were keeping it close, and they were respectable in the first quarter plus. And then you thought, maybe they'll hang around, and who knows what could happen if you're within 14 points or even 21 points. If you're within three touchdowns, you're in the game, essentially, until it gets maybe the fourth quarter. Even then, you're, you might be in the ballpark. But the defense just let them down. Well, I guess both sides let them down because those touchdown drives, two plays, three plays, four plays. Like, they had multiple touchdown drives on four plays or less. They had a defensive touchdown they allowed. Mm-hmm. And so they were just scoring quick. And, like, they won't see an offense this good in the Mountain West at all. They, But then again, the defense for Oregon, they stepped up, and Carson Strong only had 89 yards passing. 
two picks. Yeah, they could have run mean, the ball, but it was it was just an ugly game. After right when we got before halftime, it was just twenty. When they scored twenty eight points in that second quarter, it was over. Yeah, and I mean, it's you don't want to draw too many sweeping conclusions out of a game like this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing I think really turned it against them, especially as the game continued. Um, they were only three of seventeen on third downs. Yeah, they and themselves. and while their aggressiveness on fourth downs, especially early in that game, I think they converted their first two fourth downs, which enabled them to stay within seven to six early on in the first half. But at least across the two the first two games that they have played so far, they've really struggled on third downs. Like they're only. You know, they were only 32% last, all of last year, but so far this year, they're only 8 of 34. And that's a conversion rate of 23.5%. That's something that is going to have to get better at some point if Nevada wants to be a contender in the Mountain West. But again, again, like, like I said, no, nobody's probably going to shut them down quite like Oregon did uh, across the board. And I thought Nevada's offense would, be, would, would have done better just because... Like, Tawatua didn't run very well. And part of the reason they kind of had to get rid of the running game because they were down so big they got a pass. But he only had, like, 13 yards. Like, I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to take a whole sweeping, but in this particular instance, they were bad. They were just, like I said, they couldn't get a first down. And it doesn't help when Oregon goes four or five on fourth downs on their own to keep all those drives alive. Well, I mean, the other thing that really got away from them in a way that didn't in their win against Purdue is – that the defensive backfield has really struggled to to in, in stopping the pass. Like they managed to adjust and you know really contain Elijah Sindelar uh, after halftime in that game, but you 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 go through and you look at the chunk plays that Herbert was oh, able to have through the so air, many. and he, and even his backup too had a few. As a team, Oregon had 15, or excuse me twelve plays of more than fifteen yards. Including you know several touchdowns that he threw. You know there was a 66-yard throw that he had to Jacob Breland. You know 16 yards to Ryan Bay, 24 yards to Brian Addison, and that's something else that's worth keeping an eye upon because I think at the moment they're giving up about nine and a half yards per pass attempt. That game they averaged gave up basically 15 yards every time somebody caught the ball. And again. You know they're probably not going to face that many pass defenses or excuse me passing attacks in the Mountain West quite like that. Things are definitely going to get easier in their non-conference slate in the next couple weeks against Weber State and UTEP. Mm-hmm. But when you get into you know the the Hawaii's and the Utah states of the world, you know, that's something that may come back to bite them if they can't start getting it sorted out in the next yeah, two to three weeks. Exactly. All right. So let's move on to Wyoming, Texas State. Um, can we? They did win the game. They in my I'll, I'll kind of go through my power poll this week. I did put them number three after they are two and zero, partly because of Missouri victory week before. But um, telling you, what's up with your guy Sean Chambers, Matt? Well, he's not my guy. <laughs> You're more convinced he was a better quarterback than I was. Let's not forget though that this is was still like his what his sixth career start. Yeah, but he's eight of eighteen. It's not like Texas State is anything special. That's true. So I will, I will acknowledge that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm saying it's like, and then he didn't run very well either. Well, he ran okay. He had one big 25 yard play, eight for 50. But like the running game wasn't consistent. It was okay overall. But Sean Chambers, like I need him. If the, if one, I mean yes, with two, no, that's great. If they're going to compete when they play Air Force, San Diego, um, Utah State, when they play Boise, when they play even Colorado State. 
they're going to have to do something. Maybe not CSU as much, but they're going to need a quarterback that can pass the ball better and not turn it over either. Defense is fine. Defense did what they did versus Texas State. They came back from that 14-10 halftime deficit to shut them out in the second half. Mm-hmm. And offense is good enough, but I need a quarterback that plays better than this for this team because Xavier Valade only had 31 yards. They weren't relying on the running game. They relied. This game was basically almost entirely relied on the defense for the victory. Mm-hmm. And come yeah, on. and I think what I'm most disappointed by is they didn't really capitalize on the turnovers they were able to create as much as they probably could have because. You know, they forced three in the first half, and I think they only turned that into, what, seven or ten points? They got seven in the first half, mm-hmm. and they get a field goal in the second half off of that. Um, no, no, just a seven points, that's it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think if, if, you know, and like we just talked about with San Diego State, I think that that's something that Wyoming is going to have to lean upon, uh, especially if Sean Chambers is going to have slow starts. And, and I think that that's maybe something worth looking more closely at just because if you look at his progression yeah in the first half he was two of nine and i think he only completed two of his first 10 passes but after halftime he was six of nine and that's when they were really able to string some successful passing plays together so there is some upside in that regard but obviously i think that you want to have an offense that can hit the ground running sooner rather than later you know, rather than falling behind like they did against Texas State, like they did against Missouri. Well, they also settled for three field goals, mm-hmm. missed two field goals. Did they miss two or did they miss one? They missed Cooper Roth missed one. Okay, I was gonna ask you about that because I didn't see he he missed a 43, 43 yarder. Oh mm-hmm. wait, sorry, I must have pulled up. Sorry, Texas State. I'm like, why did he not play it? But then they had oh maybe I mistakenly did it. Oh, I had, the logos look similar on ESPN. Sorry. They they miss jeez oh, I'm terrible here these two the cowboy and the bobcat and ESPN are brown and look similar so they do have similar color palettes yeah and so <laughs> no I'm sorry it was just the one I apologize I thought it was two there so they missed one field goal and I guess we'll give Cooper off the pass when it was like a 43 yarder which not mm-hmm. good so they okay they missed a field goal let me rephrase my point they still settled for four field goals. Yeah, if and you're I mean, going to beat Boise that... State, who is going to have a better defense in Texas State, you're going to have to get some touchdowns. And that's this could have been a blowout if they had even maybe if they made the one field goal and another touchdown. That's like another seven eight points. They would have had thirty plus a comfortable victory. So the offense did stall out. It's, that's kind of the main thing I wanted to see all year. Offense needs to be better. And this game, it was just it was not there. Texas State only had seven def- off- defense offensive points because one was a pick six. So defense did everything they could, giving up, I guess, technically eight points with the extra point they gave up. But I want to see Sean Perry, Chambers pass better. He, he ran okay, but his passing game, if they're not going to pass a lot, that's fine. you got to at least be at 60%. If you're, going, if you're completing or throwing 18 times, you got to complete at least 12 of those, right? Yeah, I think that's a fair benchmark to say. And if he goes like, if he combines for, here's what I'd like to see, which I'd be totally okay with. Give me 200 combined yards by him and 55% passing, maybe mm-hmm. 60%. So that could be like basically 150 in the air and 50 on the ground would be acceptable for me. You get about in that 200-yard range combined, that, I think that's what he, they should be getting from each and every game. If they do that, they'll be in most contests. So, Well, here's another thing that, that uh, I think Wyoming fans should keep an eye on as the season keeps going is they were 8 of 18 on third downs, which is, you know, they 44% good not bad yeah but uh their average third down distance was about half of what texas state's average distance was on third downs it was only 
4.3 yards per. And the Cowboys were only 6 of 11 when there was four or fewer yards to go. And so I think that with an offense that wants to be efficient, you know, they want to run the ball, obviously. And when things are going at their best, you know, if you look at that, what, 18-play, 88-yard drive that they had where it took up about nine yards, or excuse me, nine minutes off the clock in the fourth quarter, or in, uh, excuse me, in the third quarter, going into the fourth quarter, that's what you want to see more of if you're this team. Mm-hmm. You want a team. You want to see a team that runs the ball between the tackles, you know, sets themselves up in manageable third downs, and then converts those third downs. You know, tries to slow the game down, really tries to wear their opponents down. And you know, we saw a glimmer of that. But that's something that if you know, if I were a Wyoming fan, I'd want to see more of that sooner because they had similar opportunities earlier in that game, and they weren't able to get it done. Exactly. So. Are you like are you you're fine with how they're playing essentially right now? Overall, they're two and zero. They maybe they need to learn these mistakes and get the kinks worked out before they up their competition level. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the same kind of conversation that we just had about San Diego State too. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't even talk again about the defense and how they had five tackles. Hey, I mentioned they gave up only six total points. That was it. no, no. I'm just saying they had you know five <laughs> sacks, eight tackles for loss. That's exactly the kind of performance yeah. that Craig Poll wants out of this defense. And like if we're being honest, if they have a what they really need, like for I mentioned the baseline for Chambers, what he I think he should get. If Wyoming could score, it's like what University of Utah does. Says Kyle Whittingham, like head coach there, give me like twenty four points and I'll be fine for mm-hmm. offense. I think Wyoming's kind of that same category. Give them about they're basically there. Give them twenty one to twenty four points, and if their defense plays as well as it should be, they should be able to be competitive in every game. Probably win more of those than they lose. Exactly. All right, let's move on. Next contest. What do we got here? Utah State sixty two. Uh, Stony Brook 7. All right. I am excited for this contest, for what happened, because it shows Gary Anderson likes the offense still. That's true. Because that, that was one of my big concerns, Like, and probably most people. Not that the talent was gone outside of like Jordan Love and Gerald Bright, who <laughs> might be running back two at the moment, just saying. Um, is like, is offense still going to want to throw the ball and pass the ball and score a lot of points? I know it's Stony Brook, but we also saw what the offense looked like last week versus Vanderbilt on the road. Or, excuse me, Wake Forest on the road. Mm-hmm. They moved the ball. They threw the ball. They got a lot of yardage. So that's good to see. Defense played well. My thing I mentioned last week, which I, we sort of saw, J- who's going to be running back one, Jalen Warren or Gerald Bright? They both split carries nine each. They didn't need either to do, do a lot in this game, obviously. But Warren was more explosive and had more yards. Nine for 105 with that big 54-yarder. Bright had nine for 67 and 30-yarder touchdown. Warren had I was going to say, I think past a certain point, being explosive gets kind of relative. I know, but 54-yarder, come on. Yeah. Which, by the way, was not the longest run of the game. Andrew Presley, 59-yarder. Yes, he did. I'm just, I'm just saying overall, like... No, I get what you're saying. It's, it's, I, what I was looking for, which is hard to know in this game, was that. Thank you for that. But who would get more carries? So we mm-hmm. still don't know who the best running back is, or who's going to be like running back one. I'm leaning toward Warren being that guy. I mean, maybe. But I think in an offense like this, it may not matter. Sure, they may it may be a complete almost a fifty fifty split. I mean, like I'm just curious what they're going to do when they play it. Like last week, it was pretty balanced as well with Warren getting a few more carries, mm-hmm. and so it's going to be balanced. I'm not going to say Bright's going to go away, and I don't even think it'll maybe like a one a and one like a one guy then a number two who's way behind like say sixty thirty ten between the three main running backs, but maybe it's be like more fifty you know I mean like fifty five fifty and then five for whoever else. 
they actually guys who are pretty good back there. So when they, my big thing will be they got San Diego State on September 21st. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I want to see, like who's going to come out and get the most carries. And maybe yeah, they're and just playing it by ear and see who's playing well and give them the ball. Well, here's something else to keep in mind, though. In the last year between Bright and Darwin Thompson, they were basically separated by about one carry per game. Interesting. I thought it was a bit more than that. No, because Thompson only had 153 carries, but Bright was right behind them with 141. Okay. So, and and that's, that gets back to the point. Like, I think that, you know, running back one and running back two is kind of relative because I think mm-hmm. it's just 1A and 1B. Yeah. I didn't realize. I thought it was a bit more spread. I thought it was at least, like, maybe two to four games. So, if it's – that's fine. Whatever it may be, but I just thought maybe from after two games, maybe one guy emerged. But if they have two great backs, who's going to complain, right? That's true. <laughs> I think Utah State fans are going to complain for sure. Yeah, 62-7, perfect. That's what they need to do. So, everything in this game was fine. There's nothing more to say. They're victorious. They got a week off. Goff. Just saying, eight of nine, two touchdown passes. So, all right. So uh, let's move on. There's, a, there's nothing else to say. They played well. My sort of fears of the offense maybe take a step back. Not the case. Um, yeah. All right. Move on. Next game. Um, is it the UNLV game or San Jose State? We're gonna get to uh, San Jose State. <sighs> Spartans. Thirty-four to sixteen, lost to Tulsa. Uh, yeah. They had a couple of miscues in this game that could have turned the tides, I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. So, in the first half, they had a bad snap that basically took them out of... I think they ended up kicking a field goal mm-hmm. in that first half. So they mit- Or no, they had to punt, sorry. They had to punt, and then they go for it on downs and miss it. So they had two chances where they could have had points. Like, fourth and one to 26, don't get it with Nevins losing a couple yards. On the final possession, half 17 to 10... They were not close in field goal range, but they lost minus nine near midfield. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple opportunities they had in the first half to make it either tied or maybe be in the lead or make it just something better than being down. Okay, only 17-10 is not bad for them. But mm-hmm. they had the chances. And then the second half started. Punt. They they force a punt. Don't give up a field goal. It was just a slow burn in the second half where the offense could have going. I wonder, had it been, say, 17-17, 17-13, 17-16 at the half, maybe this game could have been a touch different with the confidence going in there. But it's just the offense just sputtered a lot, and Josh Love wasn't all that great. Well, and, and this is kind of the inverse of what I talked about, I think, going into last week's game against Northern Colorado. Is like we wanted to see him get off to a fast start. And, I mean, for the most part in this game, he did. You know, he was 13 for his first 19, but the problem was... Then he only completed three passes the rest of the, rest of the yeah. way before actually missing uh, a significant chunk of the second half, and had he had to be replaced by Nick Nash, who was you know he was okay, but obviously I think that you know a, an efficient love and explosive love is what really makes this offense go, uh, and they just didn't have it for sixty minutes this past Saturday. Well, and the running defense came back to haunt them again. Like, mm-hmm. that's been an issue. They had Shamari Brooks 140. They gave up three touchdowns. Like, that's been their thing for years and years where teams can just run the ball at will. And Zach Smith did fine throwing the ball. But here's the thing, too. Like, they were only 6-15 on third down. Tulsa was pretty good third down, 9-16. You can't do that. Then 2-2 two of two and fourth down. So they had chances to stop them, speaking of the Spartans, clearly. But Tulsa was 11-18 of 18 on third and fourth downs. It's pretty mm-hmm. good. That's really good. It is. They basically. And here's the thing, too. Tulsa stopped themselves. Penalties? 105 yards? It's like the Spartans lost by 18 points, but 
there were reasons this could have been much closer in this game. But besides, even besides the two I mentioned, where they had the the miss miscue, the and then you have Love leaving. There's a lot of things that had that went wrong in this game, and it was still sort of close. Mm-hmm. I say sort of close, <laughs> just because, because. Yeah, I mean, away from them until like kind of we're going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, because when they got those back to back touchdowns, that's kind of when the game was over at thirty four ten. Yeah. And then it's yeah, because Spartans got a touchdown. Did they do the onside kick? They did. They did. That's and right. They so it. they got the onside kick, then fumbled, proceeded a couple of plays later. So better than they were. We some people thought they'd be. I did not put San Jose State at the bottom. Of my, bottom. Of my, them at nine. I want to say let me pull it up really quick because I put um. Spoiler: When we got you and LV next, they're number twelve on my list. It's not even close. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I put the Spartans. No, sorry, ten. Okay. Because like this game, well, eighteen points seems like a lot. I don't think it was really a blowout. Do you? I don't think so. No, I think the the, the final score might suggest it. But if you watch the game, you saw the San Jose State was competitive. You were seeing them trend in that direction that you want to if you're thinking that they're going to take a step forward this year. Yeah, and also too, when Nick Nash was in, the two possessions were basically three and outs almost. A couple of those. Yeah. And so that doesn't help. Um, well, I didn't see. What was the reason for Love? Was he injured in this game? Because you know the... I think he, he got banged up. According to Ernie Gonzalez of the Spear, uh, apparently he's going to be okay. So I would expect to see him for next week. It's good because Mercury News isn't reliable for Spartans' content. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Did you see uh, Jimmy Durkin's back doing a bit of Spartan content for The Athletic now? I did note that. I did. looked it up this morning. So that's good to see. He's the car. He's... he's... Spartan content content is always good, so that's good. He'll be back. But had Love played the whole game, I still don't think they would have won. But it probably would have been within a touchdown. Yeah, that's true. All right, so they're one and one. Who do they got next week? Real quick, let me see. I'm gonna pull that up just to look at how they go to. Oh, they got Arkansas in two weeks. So yeah, Arkansas is bad. We'll get that later, and we'll talk about Arkansas twice because they get Colorado State next week. Then yes, they do. They stay, so. Oh boy, <laughs> the, the rock fight of the century. We'll see. Next game, we should have had our buddy Jeremy Harper talk about this game before. I didn't think about it. Sorry, buddy, if you listen, I don't know if he does, but cover Sun Belt, Arkansas State guy, UNLV seventeen, Arkansas State forty three. This was rough from the get go. This, um, if you're not following Tyler Bischoff on Twitter, you should because mm-hmm. he does a lot of good things for UNLV. He does his radio show there. He puts a lot of just kind of videos out there during the game. He's pretty quick about getting out there. Some good, just good info about the Rebels' offense. And he made a great point in this game. We'll talk about the game sort of, but there's one bigger thing. And I agree with him. If UNLV wants to be a throwing team, they should not be playing Armani Rodgers. Yeah. <laughs> because he he fully admits, and we all three of us can agree, Rodgers is the best guy to get them to be the vic- to be victorious if they use him properly. If they're going to make him throw the ball... That's that's wasting his skill set. Yeah, and and to that point, you know, he was six of ten in that first quarter, um, but the he threw an interception, which was a pick six, which opened the scoring for Arkansas State, and he only had twenty seven yards. And by halftime, when they were down, what was it, twenty three to three? You know, in the second quarter, he was only one of nine. And and the the running game didn't really do much to help them there either. They were only you know they had like twenty seven yards in that second quarter, 
So basically, by the time they had a chance to turn to the running game, it was already too late. And I just don't, I don't understand why they chose to do things the way that they did in this game. I, if you look what Charles Williams did as well, like he led it up. Was it one sixty eight? Well, and a lot of that though came off of a big. I think it was like a seventy eight yard mm-hmm. run he had in the third quarter, but that was already well after the game was already out of reach. Okay, but before that, still like eighteen for ninety, still pretty good. Yeah, I don't know, man. But also defense too, secondary. Oh my goodness, can you stop anybody? Apparently not. <laughs> you know, that was. I mean, that, but that was the big question coming into the year. Yeah, it's like they have. Um, uh, it's and also here's the thing too: they don't have Max Jillian back there either because he's hurt still. Mm-hmm. And so they brought in was it, is it true freshman a retro freshman? Uh, he's a retro freshman. Yeah, Kenyon Oblad. Three or three for seventy. He can throw the ball a little bit. Seems like right. Yeah. So, I just I don't know if a quarterback controversy is necessarily what you need right ooh, now. That's what but I, Tony Sanchez I made, said as much. They're going to be looking at the quarterback situation this week. But I just I I made the joke on on Twitter on our feed about how um you know there was a column I think of Mike Romala of the of the Las Vegas Sun I believe it was that he wrote earlier this week about special teams. Oh yeah. Whether <laughs> whether the Rebels should bother with returning punts and kicks and and Tony Sanchez had something to say about it. But then you look at this game and you're like, well, maybe he was just asking the wrong question. Maybe UNLV should just never throw. <laughs> That's go Army, go Air Force. You know what I mean? Go that option because they they probably should be running the football about as often as any non-service academy team. So, I don't know why they would do anything else. Like he threw. T- okay, what did you say he was in the first quarter? Six of ten. Uh, yeah, six of ten with a pick six for only twenty-seven yards. But here's the thing too. Here's the problem with that, though. This with how the game turned quickly, defense is a lot to blame. Rogers still couldn't run the ball to save his life either. He was offensive line did not help him. He was sacked. What? How many times did he sack? There are six total sacks. Were those all on Rogers? Uh, you know what? From what I remember, the game, I, it's really hard for me to say. Well, okay, they had six total sacks, and so let's just say five of them. I don't recall exactly, but man, it's if he's not. Like, what, what do you have him out there? If you can't run the ball and he's having a bad night throwing, what are you going to do? They're screwed. Well, see, okay, so here's a perfect example, right? So they're down 10-3 to 3 in the second quarter, early in the second quarter. They're at their own 14-yard line, and they choose to throw three times in a row. <laughs> Hayes Hickens shanks a 17-yard punt, so Arkansas State gets the ball at UNLV's 31, and they punch it in like five plays later for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Why on earth, if you're only down one score, would you choose to throw the ball three straight times with a quarterback who has like a 40% career completion percentage? Is there any any possibility or reasoning because they have a new OC because Cotton had to get the heart transplant? I mean, if that were the case, then why wouldn't they have at least tested this a little more last week? Yeah, I I don't know what they're going to do because... It's when they missed it. When let me get pull a stat up here because I get Tyler. You put this out before, but so I have his handy. When he missed games last year, they were three and three. Mm-hmm. Max Jillian was one and five yards per game. Rushing yards total were two ninety eight to one forty nine. So about a one fifty difference yards per carry, about five seven to three nine, and points per game were a touchdown less. And clearly, the offense isn't as good when Rodgers is not out there, but. I don't know too. Like, if they can't run, like, there's questionable play calling, and if he's not successful, should they just give the ball to Charles Williams the whole time? I don't know because 
they can't. Like you said he can't throw three straight times. There's no reason to do that. When a guy I mean, who, jeez. Oh, here's the reality that UNLV has to face right now, and I've, I've thought about this a lot in the last 24 hours or so. If Armani Rogers hasn't developed into a passer by now, he's never going to. Fact. So how is UNLV going to respond to that? Are they going to bench him and go with Oblad? Or wait or are they going to tailor are they going to tailor the offense to just be as run heavy as they possibly can be? Or and I think that if if whatever choice that Tony Sanchez decides to make, if that doesn't work, he is as good as gone this year. I got another option. Why don't they pull up Boise State running quarterback, passing quarterback a couple years ago, Montel Cozarts and Brett Rippin? Yeah, I don't know, man. Hey, I mean I... we still don't know we still don't know if Oblad is actually that passing quarterback though. He only threw a couple of times. Yeah. But Tony Sanchez said in the post game, he's like, "We got to get the, we got to get going in the passing game at the quarterback spot. If there's got to be a little bit of battle there, I think we're going to talk about that." And so that's kind of saying they're that's a little bit saying maybe something's going on there. But they have a week off. That's a good thing. Wait, no, sorry, that's the wrong team. Do they play next week? They're at Northwestern. Oh boy, Who's... it's going to be rough. They're a decent Big Big Ten team, defending Big West or Big Ten champion or runner-up. I mean, sorry. Mm-hmm. Like the game itself, there's nothing to talk about the game. It's all pointing to what Rogers and Sanchez will do. Like I haven't put on there, his he's done, he's toast. If Sanchez, Sanchez, I'm gonna say right here, this is the game that got him fired, meaning he won't be back next year. I don't know if I go. I don't see how they can recover from this. Like they could, but it seems unlikely. You have your your typical backup injured, not playing for a while. You have your you have a new offensive coordinator, essentially a new guy calling plays, who has no clue how to call plays with the quarterback, even though the guy's been on the team for a while. You're right saying if he can't throw by now, he's never going to learn how to throw. And there's uh, too many things, and defense is awful as it is. Like the only thing they have for certain is probably Charles Williams. Like Tyler Collins, he's supposed to be pretty good. One for minus two receiving. He's like supposed to be the guy catching the ball. One for minus two. How does that work out? How does that happen? I mean, I'm not going to say always or never like he is 100% done. Um, but I, what I will say is Tony Sanchez and his tenure are basically on life support in the next few weeks. If, you know, because after Northwestern, they go on the road to Wyoming, and then they are home versus Boise State, and then they're at Vanderbilt, and then they're at Fresno State. And there's a pretty good chance that he could be done by like the end of October. Is he going to be the first coach fired? I mean, I wasn't so sure before the season – but based on what I saw last week um, and, and this, the the change in the forecast for the weeks to come, he very well might be. Do you happen to have the FPI or um, not FPI, SP plus up in front of you where Arkansas State is? Um, give me just a second to pull that up if you want to vamp. Yeah, because I'm wondering, like, Arkansas State's usually a pretty good team. So for them getting the win is not shocking by any means. And also remember. Okay, so I did find it. They are 59th. So they're about an average football team. Where is yeah, UNLV on that list? Uh, UNLV is 105. That's close. It, uh, here's the thing. If you think they're on last support, I'm not going to disagree with your opinion on that. I'm going to say this is the game you point to why he was fired. It'll come back to this game. I mean, I guess we'll just have to wait and see how things unfold. I think he, by the end of the season, if they're not careful, they can point to any number of games and say this is why he got fired. But this is the first one. Also... Long live comparing him to Cam Newton because that's been a joke since day one. So Yeah, maybe we can retire that for now. Well, that was brought up here. I was looking through a couple of tweets here. Mm. And I guess Troy Calhoun's evaluation card needs to be pulled out as well because he brought that up too, but I bet he's just repeating. All right, let's go to the next game because I'm tired of the Rebels. 
What do we got next? We have um, your Fresno State um, Bulldogs. Oh, I guess we, I guess we had to talk about this one, didn't we? I like how people say, "Hey, they're a great 0-2 team." It's like I don't care. That means nothing to me. They lost twice. Okay. Right? So. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing, though. Do it. Go. Um, <laughs> don't panic. Correct. Because I see, it seems like a lot of Fresno State people, a lot of Fresno State fans, are seeing that the sky is falling. They've had. Yeah, they've been brutal losses, but you know what? USC just jumped into the top twenty-five, did they not? They crushed Stanford. Yeah, they're both playing back at quarterbacks, but they still crush Stanford. It's usually pretty good. But but the Trojans did jump into the top twenty-five. Yeah, yeah oh yeah, oh yes, yeah. They are 20, 23, I think twenty-four. Mm-hmm. They're there. Yeah. Okay, so I'm just gonna put this out there that you know USC by SP plus is ranked twenty-third. Minnesota is ranked forty-second. Okay. So it's not like losing. I mean, yes, losing to teams like that in the exact same way two weeks in a row is brutal. I'm not going to deny that. But this is still a pretty good team that still did a lot of things right in this particular game. Yeah. And also, really quick, that fourth and 13 receptions, like once, one in 100, if that, mm-hmm. or for whatever it was, was it yeah, fourth and 13 back in the end zone? The um, Chris Ottman bell catch. That's yeah. like one. That that that's like the play of the year. So it could be one of the best plays of college football all year. We see, and so that's how you lose technically overtime. But it's like, dang, that type of play. That's that's just a bad beat. It's not, the guy had him covered perfectly. Nothing he could do. He made an amazing catch and got the foot down. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are you gonna do? Get the pi? I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Jeez. Sorry. Continue. No, I'm just saying. You know, it seems like there's a lot of. Uh... I guess finger pointing right now, and, and one of the one of the main culprits it seems to be that you know from a lot of people's perspective is Jorge Reina, and you know while on the surface he did do a little bit better in this game than he did in in the opener against USC. You know he's twenty four thirty five two hundred eighty eight yards and three touchdowns, but the, I think the one thing that has really separated him from what we've become accustomed to over the last couple of years are the turnovers. Yeah, and you know, there's no doubt that you know the interception that he threw, both of them were just kind of killers, and and obviously the the game ending one is the one that we're going to remember for a really long time. But you know, on a per play basis, the offense hasn't necessarily dropped off as much as you would have expected with so many new contributors. I think they're only down by a shade under half a yard per play. By SP plus, the offense is actually a little bit better through the first two games than it was all of last year where they were 37th under Marcus and Right now, they're 31st. So, yeah, the turnovers are obviously the most glaring issue. Um, you know, the fact that they got pushed around on the defensive line for most of the game, even despite the tackles for loss that they had, yeah. to me, that's a bigger concern. You know, to me, the fact that the offense, or excuse me, the defensive backfield gave up you know, a lot of ground to Minnesota's wide receivers. You know, Rashad Bateman had seven catches for 105 yards. Tyler Johnson had four touches for 71. You know, to me, those are the bigger concerns coming out of the first two games, but it gets a lot easier from here. Don't panic. I think it's more frustration. Is it really panic or is it more frustration of how close it was in that you're 0-2? I think it's probably a mixture of both, but it's not like they are Well, maybe not frustration, but coming out of these two games. Yeah, maybe not like, frustration. Like a bad you know, team. I don't think anybody's saying they're a bad team, right? 
I don't think so. I, I mean, not, right? you never know. But I mean, you know, look at someone like Justin Rice, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, 11 tackles, two forced fumbles, including one that he recovered. He's been a revelation in these first two games as, you know, an anchor in a totally rebuilt linebacking unit. You know, the you know, Darian Grimm has really stepped up in the first couple of games. Zane Pope has really stepped up Kevin in the first Atkins couple of games. They found ways to get Ronnie Rivers up to 20 touches or 19 touches, and he scored twice in this game. Are there things that still need to be worked upon? Yes. Like, in but, this game, it was back and forth. Was there one thing you can point to say, this is why they lost? No, you cannot. Because I get the interception, but, like, looking through, like, I was going through... So I remember I watched Majority's game, but as late as watching this and Hawaii at the same time, so I may have missed a few things. But like just kind of going through the play chart really quick, they pit, they missed a field goal, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. They did, which was still a fifty yarder. You know what I mean, that's um, yeah, fifty yarder. So that's ex- ex- understandable. They didn't take advantage of a fumble on the next possession. They had to punt after four plays. So there's a couple things, but but Minnesota never took advantage of those either. They also punted. The interception end of the half didn't hurt them because defense stopped Minnesota in their tracks. So there were things that may have stalled. And then again, they took in the second half they went on a ten oh run. Field goal touchdown right there to go ten points to get back to get ahead in the game. Mm-hmm. There was things that maybe shot themselves in the foot, but nothing like you're I don't think there's any one thing that say here's outside of the pick to end the game, which was the final play of the game, there's nothing to say you would have won if you'd done this. Like I don't yeah, think there's any it... glaring thing. It's a back and forth game the whole time. Yeah, and to that point, you know, on a per play basis, you know, even though Minnesota ran more plays, Fresno State averaged the half yard more per play. Mm-hmm. You know, they they managed to sack Tanner Morgan four times. Yeah, even though they gave up four sacks to uh, you know Jorge yeah. Arena as well. You know, there's some things that we've talked about with other teams. Like one thing that's definitely going to have to get worked out in the weeks to come is the fact that they were still just three of ten on third downs. Yeah. And conversely, that Minnesota was 9 of 15 on third downs. That's almost a complete reversal of what we got accustomed to with this defense and with this offense in the last couple of years. They were extremely proficient at defending on third downs last year and pretty good about converting them too. And that just hasn't happened in these first couple of weeks. But again, you know, the Mountain West is not necessarily full of teams like Minnesota and like USC. It's going to get easier from here. So the positives that you can take away from this game are are such that I think they're going to translate really well, at least early in conference play. Yeah, because they got Sac State next week, fine. Mm-hmm. Or two weeks, I should say. New Mexico State, they'll win. Air Force will be tricky. But schedule's not like there's no back-to-back games. The toughest back-to-back, I guess there's a stretch later on, I should say. I shouldn't put that up completely. But it gets fairly easy. You get Air Force, t- a little bit tricky. You go to Hawaii. Host Utah State and go to San Diego State, and then we'll see how what Nevada is really like. But their stretch won't really come to being tested again until November. Yeah, I mean it's frustrating to be close. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like it's just disappointing. It's like you're this close to being two and zero, and probably twenty, probably ranked ahead of Boise State had they won both those games possibly. Yeah, and I mean to that effect, let's not forget that Boise State's two wins so far are both by one score. Yeah, and apparently a very bad Florida State team who won because Louisiana Monroe, or Ooh, Monroe yes. missed an extra point. Rough. <laughs> that was rough to the watch. The Warhawks almost had it. Are they the Warhawks, right? Yes, they are. Okay, good. I pulled that out. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, and on top of that, you know, San Diego State they beat UCLA, but they only beat UCLA by nine points. Yeah, and and they had the one score win against yeah, Weber uh, against Weber State. 
you know, obviously Utah State's one and one, but they had a one score loss against uh, Wake Forest, so they can empathize. You know, it's you know sometimes one or two breaks just don't go your way, but this team is still plenty good enough to make a lot of noise in conference play, and it's still plenty good enough to th- turn things around by the end of the month for sure. Yeah, there, there's no concern. It's just like it's, it's more of like crap. We're zero two because of this. Yeah, and they'll it, and they'll be tested. That's what it, it happens early on, but. Let me ask question, which uh, hopefully doesn't hurt you too much. Are they removed from New Year's Six consideration at 0-2? Are they removed from what? New Year's Six bowl game consideration. Yeah, I mean, I think they kind of have to be, unfortunately. Okay. You do know Boise State made it with two losses the first time. I do. Okay. I just don't think that, you know, even if they went out, I'm not sure. Schedule-wise? I mean, I guess if they if they run the table and beat, like, a undefeated Boise in the title game, then maybe. Okay. But even then, they'd still probably be playing catch-up to UCF if they're still undefeated. Or, go go Stanford, you know, or, right? <laughs> or Memphis if they're undefeated or whatever, yeah. Okay, so that's what I thought, too. I just wanted your thought. If you're optimistic on that at all, I'm going to guess I, you proved me right. No, you're not, <laughs> which is fine because it's tough. 0-2. <laughs> all right, yeah. final game of the day. Can I get my night back on this one? Can I get the second they, half they, back they, on my night on this won, one? didn't they? The second half was brutal. They can't all be high-flying affairs. Can you make a field goal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you did, eventually. <laughs> I mean, do you think that that's just like another piece of evidence that they should just go for it on fourth down every single time? They missed two, three, three field goals in the game. They missed the opener, which was a re- 47. That's understandable, right? Mm-hmm. That's It's a college kicker. That happens. Then you missed a – pull up here. I'm scrolling through. It was 20, 27 yeah. and 48. 27 was bad. Make, you got to make the 27-yarder. But this game, here's the thing that's good and not good. First off, good. Nick Rolovich tweeting out the Rose Bowl logo. Excellent. Thank you. That's some excellent trolling. He's very good at that. You beat a very bad Oregon State team by just three points. That's not the good thing. But a win's a win. You, you're 2-0 versus the Pac-12, which is um, – they're catching up to Aztec territory. If we do two games, they're under 100%. Can we make that graphic? <laughs> two games versus a Pac-12? Mm-hmm. Why is that the top? Um, but, like, this, like, Cole McDonald had the one pick. He played, after that, after, besides they played five, but this first half, geez, Oregon State, juking guys out of the pants. Like, Hawaii couldn't tackle very well, which we know the defense is not great, but, man, that second half. Hey, I told you they got playmakers. I, I know. I'm just saying, that first first half, not good second half. Shut out. That's true. Second half defense. That's why. That's why I actually like to watch the second half. All kidding aside, they had two three and outs. They stopped them on the fourth down twice, mm-hmm. and they and long fifty two yarder. And so the defense second half played extremely well, but the first half was the exciting. Was the why we know and love when it's twenty eight twenty one at the half. Mm-hmm. No shootout. No hundred points. If you took the over, sorry folks. But overall, like this this game was a touch better than. I could say it's a touch better versus Arizona. Cole McDonald had just the one pick. They, what they have just the one? Yeah, just the one one interception, one fumble, or one turnover. I mean, is that it? Is I that believe they had two turnovers in the second half. Okay, sorry, I was trying to look over all this. Um, oh no, they had two total. That's what it was. But they didn't turn the ball over as many times as last week. The defense actually stopped Jake Luton, who's pretty good, two hundred fifty percent. The big issue overall is the running game just were blasted against Hawaii. Like, Jermaine Jefferson, 31 for 183. 
and they had multiple had a couple of huge plays. Mm-hmm. So like overall, it's like it's a mixed bag for me a little bit. The second half, loved what the defense did, give them no points. First half, they couldn't tackle anybody, they couldn't stop anybody. The field goal field goal unit needs to get better. But overall, they win the game, and it's confidence they need. And with Cole McDonald, like some people are questioning me, like uh, my power ranking. I, I did the QB power ranking. I put Cole McDonald above Jordan Love, which mm-hmm. I do like how the one comment so. He put Jay Love. So I'm like, which one, Jordan or Josh? They never responded to me. I thought that was funny. Because I'm like, come on. Mm-hmm. I, I know the, it's the guy who has the one joke about Utah State or something, I guess. That guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I still think he's one of the top quarterbacks in conference. Like, putting him above Jordan Love is probably risky. But this game proved he's, as we knew before, really, really good. And whatever the OC and Rolovich told him, he toned it down was better than it was last week because he was not as erratic. Well, I mean, I think one thing that – both this game and the game against Arizona have in common is that they just, you know, they had some opportunities that they weren't able to take full advantage of. True. And, and a lot of that in this case came down to the missed field goals. But what was really interesting to me was the fact that they decided to settle for field goals in the first place because they were only two of 12 on third downs, but they were perfect on fourth downs. And so when you have those opportunities, especially when you're trying to go for the juggler late in the game, why wouldn't you take those chances? You know, you're at the, what was it, the nine-yard line? They were on one of the field goals. They were, yeah, at the nine, which mm-hmm. it's not fourth and two, you know what I mean? But I guess that it, but that one turned out fine because they stopped Oregon State the other way around on yeah. downs. But the second, same thing happened back-to-back. But the second one was also four and nine. And so that's a bit long to go for. I mean, if it's like four and three, go for it. But I, I would say that's the right call just because a four, four and nine is a tough one to convert. Mm-hmm. It's different than going for it on fourth and two. Yeah, I guess that's fair. But it's, but it, it worked out fine. I guess it technically worked out fine because Oregon State coughed up the ball back up, and then mm-hmm. on the third attempt they made the field goal finally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, second half was hard to watch. But so, how, what, what's your perception of Hawaii then? Because we know Oregon State's probably not going to go to a bowl game. I'm assuming that's where most people stand. They squeaked out a victory. They overcame two 14 point deficits in this game which shows perseverance, which older Hawaii teams may have not had that chance or may have just kind of uh, folded over. Mm-hmm. I put them number two this week in my power rankings. Do you think that's warranted? Too high, too low? For me, that might be a touch high. Who, who do you think would be – who would you put better than – for me, I'm basing off the two games. Would you put um, Utah State ahead of them? I would, yeah. I was debating it, but I put Utah State four actually behind Wyoming. Mm-hmm. But I think Hawaii. Yeah, I, mean, Wyoming... I would. I would probably put Wyoming ahead of them as well. Okay. What about San Diego State? Maybe. Okay. I have to think about that. But I think so. What you're saying, two through five, is pretty close. Yeah, I think so. Because I put real quick. I'll run through mine: Boise, Hawaii, Wyoming, Utah State, San Diego State, Fresno, Nevada, Air Force, CSU, Spartans, Lobos, and Rebels. Yeah. So there's a even Boise State's not a clear cut number one for me. They're two and zero. Oh. And they squeaked by Marshall Jim. It's pretty good. I would disagree with you there. Do you think they're clear cut? I think they are the pretty obvious number one. Yeah. Well, I didn't say they're obvious number one, but I mean the difference is is somewhat close. Like I mean, I think I think right now it's not. Oh, okay. Interesting. They beat a bad Florida State team and barely beat Marshall, but okay, I get it. I would, but maybe when maybe I'm not phrasing myself correctly here. They are number one for me, for sure. But maybe I'm maybe I'm just not right on that. I'll just give up because I lose because I'm you're correct. No, 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 I mean, no. I th- what I was trying to get at, yeah. what I was trying to get at, is that Boise is number one for me for sure, mm. but maybe the gap is not extremely wide. 
Yeah, and I'm just saying I would disagree. Okay, that's fair. I think as going back to the zero yards given up in the second half, maybe I should agree with you. And I will, because I'm going <laughs> to listen to you because you're smarter sometimes. Well, that, that, that was easy. There you go. See? What am I going to do about it? See? You got it. You're, you're the smart one here. I keep telling people that. <laughs> we had a couple questions here. I'm trying to find them really quick. Did you see any of those pop up? Uh, the one I remember, which I think we touched upon very briefly, was about Fresno State and whether they are the best 0-2 team in the country. Is that just a yes? Um, I'm trying to remember exactly. By doing no research, yes? <laughs> By SP Plus, there were exactly two 0-2 teams ahead of them. Um, Miami is ranked 29th. Hmm. And uh, Tennessee, oh, last, last seen oh. losing a very brutal game to BYU. Giving up a 64-yarder. Is ranked 47th. Fresno State is ranked 51st, um, right between, coincidentally enough, Wake Forest and Nebraska. <laughs> how, how are those Cornuskers doing? <laughs> uh, better now than on the top 25. Or just say. Maybe we can cool it a little bit. Exactly. So, so we, but to, answer, to answer their question, yes, I think they might be. I would say they're better than Tennessee. I say Miami, they're, it's cl- very close. I would like. I would watch that game, Fresno yeah. State in Miami. You would watch any game of Fresno State football, as would I. Uh, yes. <laughs> the other one. Um, so, what's practice going to be like for Nevada? Um, just uh, running gas just the whole time. A lot of wind sprints, maybe. <laughs> I know. I don't know. A um, lot of burpees, hills. Yeah. Um, I, I hated hills back in the day. Yeah, they're no fun. Um, secondary learning how to knock a ball. To, I don't know. The, um, it'll be. It'll be not fun. That's what it'll be, right? Yeah, pretty much. Who does Nevada have next week? Are they Are they playing next week? Or are they off? I don't have the schedule in front of me. I can just tell you that they're playing Weber State. Oh, that is next week. That's right. So, hey, after seeing the Aztec game, careful, Wolfpack. The bar is very low. <laughs> just saying. All right, and uh, anything else we need to add? I think we've done a decent job going through all these games this week. I think we're pretty much all set. We will be back on Wednesday, I believe, correct? Is that our yes, typical we are. plan? Sometime Wednesday we'll have a new podcast, Week 3 Preview, we will have this week. It's what we always get out there. We'll have our quarterback rankings. We'll have our bowl projections. Some nonsense possibly out there in the websites. We might be getting a few more new writers out there for, say, Hawaii. An old Hawaii guy we know quite well who might be rejoining us, which is awesome. Um, just for some assistance. Some Wyoming. Um, what else we got? UNLV. Spartans. Excellent. So we might be getting, we might be getting more coverage for you guys because, Matt, that will open you up. Maybe do some more fun stuff that you like to do. Fingers crossed. That's always fun, right? Doing the uh, crazy stuff. All right, so that's it for today. You know where to find us. iTunes, Stitcher, what, radio.com. Anywhere you can find your podcast, go, um, give us a thumbs up, a star of some sort, a five star. Not a singular star. Let's go for five this week. And, yeah, we'll be back next week. We'll be talking week three. We're getting there, folks. Here we go.